At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through this three-week series, we're turning to the biblical book of Isaiah to discover how God's holiness, forgiveness, and love compel us to share Him with others. We'll come face-to-face with whatever's keeping us from answering God's call as Isaiah did. Send me. This morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. We're actually going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 for the next uh, several weeks together. But I'm excited about um, this series that we're starting today. As we finished up last week, our series on soul food, how Jesus used meals as an opportunity to care for ministry and carry out his mission. Today, we're going to um, continue kind of in that vein as we seek to look out from ourselves and seek to look and to have eyes that see the nations like Jesus saw the nations and like God desires for us to see the nations. Have you ever heard the saying, you don't know what you don't know until you know it? You ever heard that? Let me say it again. You, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. Right? It's in that, that time when you begin to understand now you have this new piece of information that didn't know, you didn't know that you didn't know it before, but now you know it, and you know it, and so you've got to live differently because of it. Right? You don't know what you don't know until you know it, and then when you know it, it changes everything. Right, for me, when I was back in grade school, I had to send this note home one day from my teacher to my parents, and I, I didn't know it was in the note. I was afraid. It was one of those notes that, where they tape it so they know like, whether you took a peek at it or whatnot. So I had a piece of tape on it. I was like, I'm not going to mess with that. So I give it to my parents, and I'm like, I've been a good boy at school. I don't know what the problem is. And so my mom and my dad, they're like, hey, your teacher thinks you need to go see an eye doctor. I'm like, What? I don't need to go see an eye doctor. I'm, everything's perfectly fine. I just got out of like a summer season of playing baseball. There's no, I, I mean, I can see. I can see everything. I can see you. I can see you. I can see you. I can see everything. Now, my teacher's crazy. And so I went to the doctor. And the doctor came to me and says, you're like blind as a bat. Like you can't, I don't know how you are functioning. Like you need, gla- not like glasses, you need like Coke bottle glasses, you know, like binoculars is what you need. Your eyesight is so bad. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, nah, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. And I didn't believe him. I didn't believe him until the moment that I put the glasses on. And it, it, maybe you've had this experience. I put the glasses on, I'm like, what? And then I went outside and what blew my mind when I put my glasses on, what blew my mind was that trees actually have indistinct leaves that you can actually see far away. Like, it blew my mind. For those of you who have glasses, you're like, I remember that day. I remember that moment. Right? Up until that moment, like, trees to me were just this big green kind of thing that had a little stick at the bottom. I could see it, but I couldn't see the definition. And now, in my life, guess what? trees have become like the litmus test, right? If I want to know how my eyesight's doing, all I got to do is go look at a tree. And if I can see the definition of the leaves and everything, I'm like, okay, I'm good. But when it starts to get fuzzy, when it starts to feel a little bit off, that's when I know I need to go back to the eye doctor. Isn't that crazy? Like my life was radically changed in that moment because I was blind, but then I could see and I had no idea what I was missing. It's no wonder that my batting average was so low that summer 
I got on base like twice the whole season. And one was because I was walked and the other was because I got hit by a pitch. Needless <laughs> to say, I'm not a baseball player. I love the game, but I'm terrible at it. But you know, getting glasses changed the way that I saw the world. I was missing out and I didn't even realize it. And I, I tell you that because I think in a similar way, when we see or witness the glory of God, it changes us. When we see even a glimpse of the glory of God, it radically changes us. Like it, it takes our world and it flips it upside down. Things that we thought were important no longer important. Things that we thought were important are no longer important. And, and, and we're just overwhelmed by the glory of God. When we see the glory of God, it changes our attention, it changes our affections, and it changes our actions. It is all-encompassing. But I'm also aware that over the course of time in your Christian life and in mine, the glory of God may become dull to us that which radically changed us, that which got us up in the morning and gave us a song to sing might become dull as the pace of life moves on and the challenges of life moves on. Maybe it's possible that our sight towards the glory of God has become dull. Because when we see the glory of God through the gospel, it changes us. But the problem is, is that you and I are so easily distracted. We can be so consumed by everything else. Every single day you live your life, there are so many things vying for your attention, vying for your affection, and there's so many things that are moving you to want to do this and to do that. And if we don't have our eyes squarely on the glory of God, they were missing out on the opportunity to be moved by the glory of God so that God acts in our lives for the sake of others. And so my prayer for us this series is that God would open our eyes again to see the beauty of the glory of God and it would change us. Because that is what our world desperately needs to see. What our world desperately needs to experience is our children of God that understand the glory of God and are living for the glory of God. Our big idea for today as we look at Isaiah chapter 6 is that God's glory compels us to go. You know, whenever we open up scripture, we always see that God is ascending God. Right, even from the very beginning, we have Adam and Eve, he created them, and what did he tell them to do? He compelled them to go to be fruitful and multiply. Right, he gave them a mission. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see God continually telling his people to go. Even the nation of Israel, God called a special people unto himself that he showed a special kind of affection and love for so that this nation of Israel would be a blessing to the nations. Now what happened is the, the Israelite nation, the, the people, instead of becoming a blessing, they took the blessings of God and tried to hoard them to themselves. But last week we talked about the resurrection of Jesus and celebrated the fact that Jesus is alive. And do you know what Jesus told his followers to do before he ascended to heaven? 
He said, go. Go and make disciples of every nation. That's not a call that was just given to the 11 disciples that were there on that day. That's a call that's given to you and to me to make disciples of all nations. It's not good enough for us to sit back in our salvation and to say, okay, I'm good, I'm saved, I'm good to go. God's call on your life. And I can say this with all emphaticness truth with all the authority of heaven, because he says so in Matthew chapter 28, you've been given the authority. Now you go and you make disciples of all nations. The challenge is is that someday many of us are gonna stand before the Lord in glory and we're gonna get in because of not what we've done, but because of whom we believed in. In that moment, I think it's gonna be bittersweet for many. For many, it's gonna be like the grace and the mercy and the love of God is just gonna come pouring on us. But then there's gonna be the sense of loss and sorrow for the fact that we didn't go, that we allowed our fear of our neighbor to overwhelm us, and we, ref- we withheld the gospel from those in whom Jesus died for. There's gonna be a bittersweetness in that moment of misopportunity. So I I want us to make things right this morning by reminding you and helping us to see that when we see the glory of God, it compels us to go. Today we're going to look as we're walking, we're gonna be walking through Isaiah and we're gonna see over the next three weeks as this prophet that has been called by God understands that God has a mission for him. He also has a message for him, but he has a mission And that he has set apart Isaiah to be a specific figure or a specific part of God's redemptive plan for all mankind. And just as God has a specific call for Isaiah to carry out the redemptive plan of God, God has a specific call for you. You play a part in God's plan for redemption. And it's not over when you retire. It's over when you quit breathing. Until that day, while you still have breath in your lungs, the call to make the disciples of all nations is still a call. It's still the beat that we walk to. And I I pray that we are overwhelmed by the glory of God, that we're able to come to the place like Isaiah, where we are able to say, here am I, send me. So today, as we look at this passage, we're gonna see two truths. The first truth I want us to see is that in order to to be compelled to go in order, before you can be compelled to go, you must first see the glory of God. We must see the glory of God. Look with me in chapter six, beginning in verse one. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at his voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. I think it's important that we understand that what God is doing at this time is, is that God's call in the lives of our people and lives of people take place in actual history. 
in actual real time. That the Bible is not just a book of fables that sits up on a shelf, but that God is active in real time. And so you can go back into history and you can learn that there was actually a man named King Uzziah. He was a real person that lived in history, not just in the Bible. There are accounts of King Uzziah and other ancient history accounts. And so we know that this God is real. And when we come to the opening of this, we see God interacting in real time and in real space. Because Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Who's King Uzziah? Well, we know that when we read throughout the Chronicles and 1 Kings and 2 Kings, we, we often hear that this king came and this king did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this king, king did evil in the sight of the Lord. But every once in a while, you come across the king and it says, and this king did right in the sight of the Lord. This king understood his role as being the representation of God himself to the nations and honored God and worshiped God. And King Uzziah began his life as one of those kings where he sought to honor God and sought to follow him and lead God's people to worship of God. But then time happened. It's almost as though King Uzziah moved to the pinnacle of what it means to be a, a human. He had everything at his disposal. He was one of the most powerful people in all of the world. And with all of that power, with all of that prestige, came some pride. Pride eased, weaseled his way into King Uzziah's life. And it led him to do something that is unthinkable. King Uzziah committed an unfaithful act by entering the temple of God to burn incense on the altar. That's what he determined in his heart that he was supposed to do or wanted to do. And we know according to scripture that was strictly forbidden. Only the priests were to be able to go in there and do that. And by attempting to do this, Uzziah was basically saying that he was above the law. That the laws of God did not concern him. That the laws of God were not towards him. That, that he didn't have to worry about that. He could do whatever he wants. Have you ever seen that in life? Where an individual climbs the corporate ladder. They get to the pinnacle. And when they get up there at the top, they think they're untouchable. Like they, they think nothing can bother them. And, and then what happens is something does bother them. And they find have a great fall. Because they've messed up. They, they've thought too highly of themselves. This is exactly what happens to King Uzziah. He has an unrealistic view of himself, an overinflated view of himself. He goes into there to burn incense, and God strikes him with leprosy right on the head. So here's this king that has made it all the way up to the top who's supposed to be there to, to help point God's people to God now is doing the unthinkable and he is struck with leprosy. And because of this leprosy, Uzziah had to live the rest of his life in isolation, away from everyone else, all on his own. And it's not by mistake that Isaiah makes sure that he time stamps this encounter with God by saying, in the year King Uzziah died. This once mighty king is now dead, and Isaiah sees God on his throne. Sometimes when our earthly leaders die, it causes us to question, like, what's going on? Who's really in control? 
right? The earthly leaders come and go. And what we see in Isaiah is that God is saying that he is on his throne. Reminding Isaiah that earthly kings do come and grow. No matter if they're great or terrible, they will all die. Men and kings are temporary, but God is eternal. And in this vision, we see that not only is God is eternal, but God is alive and God reigns. When, when Isaiah sees God, he's sitting on the throne. God is not up there like at some crazy war room with all these papers out before him trying to figure stuff out, freaking out like, like a commander. Like if I move this, then what am I doing over there? Then what, who's gonna do this? He's not up there like freaking out. God's up there sitting on a throne. He's sitting. Meaning that when a king sits on his throne, that means everything is Right? Right? He doesn't have to worry about the, the vassals over here uprising. He's not worried about this over here. He's not worrying about helping uh, make allegiance with other kings. No, he's sitting. He's chilling on the throne because he knows he's sovereign over all. He knows that everything else in the created order answers to him and does his will and his bidding. And so he's sitting. He's chilling. And Isaiah sees this. And though earthly kings come and they go and they come and they go, earthly kings are laid to rest, but the true sovereign God is still ruling and he's reigning. The same God of, of Isaiah's time is the same God today. God is not sitting on his throne stressed out or overwhelmed. He's not looking at the events of the world saying, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do? He's looking, he's like, okay, I got that. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm God. Everything, everyone answers to me. Everything that's going on, don't worry out, don't worry. But we're here, like, looking at all of these things and living as though God is not on his throne. Like, we live our lives totally freaked out. It's almost as though sometimes we, we, we running around trying to fix this and fix this and we're like, we look to God and we're like, hey God, why are you not freaking out? Why is this? Why is my life not causing you to pull out your hair? Do you know? God's like, yeah, I know. I know exactly what's going on in your life. I know the pain that you're walking through. I know the devastation and the destruction and the discord. I know all of that. And guess what? I'm, I'm on my throne. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. I got this. Like, you can fully trust me because I'm God. I'm not worried. It's this the way that you view God? Sovereign on his throne? Or do you feel like God's God for everybody else, but for you, like he's taking a nap? He's not. God is on his throne. He's seated there, and he's in complete control. And so Isaiah here sees God, sees him as alive, sees him with all authority, sees him with all power. And what we see is though God is sitting there, that throne room is very active. There's a lot of things going on. Not but God, God's sitting down. But do you see what's going on in there? It's very active. It's, it's like we have these seraphim that are there. And seraphim literally means burning ones. Right, the, another uh, way when we look at these burning ones, that fire is the chief symbol of holiness of God in the Old Testament. Right, and so we see these seraphim 
that have six wings. Two are covering their feet, two are covering their face, and two are very busy flying around. And what these seraphim are doing is they're, they're surrounding God in this throne is they're calling out, they're yearning with their, all of the strength of their voice. They're saying, holy, holy, holy. They're claiming, proclaiming that over and over. It's this holy place where God is being worshipped, where he's being called out as holy. And this isn't just repetition, it's emphasis. God is not just holy. No, he's not just holy, which he is. He's not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And God is being worshipped as such. So, so what does it mean then that God is holy? I, I, I want to encourage you, if you want to really just dive into God's holiness, there's an amazing uh, work. There's an amazing book. I mean, the Bible's the amazingest work. But if you want someone to expound the truth of Scripture in a way that might connect in a different way, I encourage you to read the book Holiness by R.C. Sproul. It's an amazing book. If you're not a reader, like go home today and YouTube Holiness by R.C. Sproul, and you can watch a six-segment series where he dives in over six hours and talks about the holiness of God for six hours. Your mind will be blown. Your heart and your affection towards God will be overwhelmed. Because when we seek to consider the holiness of God, it changes us. Why? Because just in definition, we normally think of like holiness as as something that we think of like moral or personal purity. Like like that person's holy because they've set themselves apart. They're they're refraining from the things of this world because they're holy. And yeah, that's in the word holy. Right? To be separate, to be set apart as a part of it, but not in its totality. When we think of God as holy, what we're saying is, is that God is completely separate from us. Right? I, I don't want to confuse this. We are made in the image of God. You, you bear the image of God, but God is completely different than you. Right? He is separate from you. When you just think about his character. Right, If we just take a look at the, the omnis of God. God's omnipresence, God's omnipotence, and God's omniscience. When we think of just those three, meaning that God is all-powerful, that God is every place at every time, and that God is all-knowing, none of us are any of that. Right? I'm not all-knowing. I wish I was. I'm not all-knowing. I make mistakes. I'm not all-powerful because I can't do the things that I wish I could do, and I'm, like, stuck in this human body so I can only be in one place at one time. So just in those three senses, God is completely different than you. He's completely separate from you, right? And this is this idea of holiness. He's completely separate. He is different. He is in a different category than you and I. And he is set apart as different because he intrinsically has the greatest value and worth because he is God. And the crazy thing about the the holiness of God is that it both fascinates us and causes us to fear, right? Like the holiness of God draws us in, but then it also freaks us out. Like, I don't know why God has created us this way, but he's created us with this beautiful ability to capture both of those intention, right? Both being drawn and both being afraid. Like we're like the only created beings 
that like during the fall get excited about paying money so we can go someplace so someone can scare us. Right? Like think about how crazy that is, right? Like to be scared is not something that we naturally feel good about. But some people, they're like, hey, I want to pay you $75 so I can walk through this woods and have a guy in a mask and a chainsaw come out and like scare me. Like somehow that's exciting. I don't get it. But just by showing that, it shows that inside of us we have like this this draw and fear and like it just somehow perfectly they, they live in tension and in God's holiness we see that we see that there's this majestic awe that draws us God is perfect in his power he's perfect in his majesty perfect in his wisdom and these things can also be completely terrifying R.C. Sproul, the one I was just talked with you about, says sometimes we, we have a xenophobia towards God, is, is what he says. And the, the word xenophobia clearly just simply means a fear of strangers or a fear of the other. That which is different than us is a fear, a real fear that people have. And he says sometimes people walk and that's all they can understand about God. As they, they don't want anything to do with him because he's so other, he's so different that they want to be pulled away, but they can't because there's something so mighty and so majestic about him that draws us to him. And so in this sense, we see that these seraphim are there and Isaiah sees them surrounding the Lord, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. But then there's this switch They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his. You would think that he's going to say the whole earth is full of his holiness. But he doesn't. There's a switch. He says the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is holy. And yet when that holiness comes into being, that we're able to see it, that it shows itself in glory. God is holy and he is filling all of the earth with his glory. The glory of God is the ultimate, infinite value of God becoming public. That's what John Piper says. When he's differentiating between holiness and glory. Is, is the holiness of God is his intrinsic worth and value. But when that becomes manifest so that others can see it, it becomes glory. It, it becomes the visible representation of the holiness of God. So it draws us to God in his wonderfulness. And what we see in scripture is that the heavens declare his glory. When we sit back and we consider the heavens, we see the glory of God. We see his holiness become visible because we look at the vastness of the sky and we see how small we really are. Right? We, we look out there and we say, I can't do that. I can't remanufacture with my hands, with my ability. I can't do that. So God, you are there. Have you ever sought to think about this? Right? If we know that God is in every space at every time because he's, he's omnipresent, we see space, right? But do you know that space is contained? There is an end to space. And guess who's at the end of space? God. Guess who's in space? God. At every space inside of space, God is there. And even outside of space, God is there. That has to blow our mind. I I pray that your mind is like melting right now and it's getting ready to fall out of your ear. Right? Because God is overwhelming. 
I love going out into the night sky and laying down on the ground and seeing the blanket of stars that are over there, right? You look at that and you have to be in awe, but you also at the same time are terrified, right? Because you're like, that's a lot of space. That's a lot of darkness. That's a lot of unknown. And somehow God is over all of that. God is in all of that. When we see the majesty and bigness of God, it helps us to understand the smallness of man. And as we look at that, it is both attractive and terrifying. But the problem is, I don't know about you, but if I go outside my house and look up in the night sky, I barely can see the stars. You know why? Light pollution. We're surrounded by so much light pollution that the, instead of seeing the glory of God, we're surrounded by the advancements of man. Right, where we're, we're in this world where everyone wants to build bigger and build better and we don't see the glory of God because we see people competing for the glory of God through the glory of man. Right, I don't know about you. Maybe you can go outside. Maybe you can see clearly. But I don't know. Like, like there's other lights and there's cars and there's sky rises and there's all these things that are competing for the glory of God. In order for me to see, to get myself to where I can really understand who I am, I've got to drive out into the countryside. Is it like that where you're at? The problem is we are not spending time in the countryside. We are not allowing ourselves to be overwhelmed by the glory of God. We're allowing ourselves to be surrounded by the glory of man. And that's where we sit. And that's where many of us are residing. We walk around, we're like, oh, an electric car. Wow, the glory of man. Right, we, we go and we're like, man, I got this great job, the glory of man. I got, look up, you gotta come see my house. The glory of man. That's not what you and I are called to do. We're not called to make much of man. We're called to make much of our God who is glorious, mighty, majestic, powerful. He is all-knowing, he is ever-present, and he is full of love for you and me. What we wanna do so many times is we wanna bring God down into someone or something we can manage. But let me remind you, God is not contained in your thoughts. God is not contained in the works of your hand. God is infinite. God is worth, worthy of honor. He is the utmost value in all things. And I love how this picture shows us that the glory of God doesn't just stay in this heavenly chamber. Right? It's not just there. But once it fills the heavenly chamber through his robe filling the chamber, now the glory of God is coming down in this image to fill the earth. To fill it. Not just a part of it. And what we see even in this passage is that it's coming down. It comes down to earth and it shakes the foundation. Right, and now we go from the throne room to the room where Isaiah is because that room here on earth is filled with smoke. And so it's not just something he's seeing in his mind, but it's something that's happening. It's a visible representation that the glory of God is now coming down to earth. And Isaiah gets a chance to see the glory of God through the holiness of God. And how does Isaiah respond? 
here am I. Send me. Witnessing the glory of God changed him. Changed him completely. Like Isaiah is ready to give up the rights of his life. He's ready to give up his dreams, his hopes, and all of that. And he's ready to go and to do whatever God wants him to do. So my question to you this morning is how do you see God? Do you see God as a benevolent old man with a long beard and long gray hair and and a cane that's feebly walking around? Well, if that's your image of God, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong because the Bible says that God is spirit. God is spirit, so he doesn't have fingers, he doesn't have toes, he doesn't have a nose. He is way different than you and I, even though we're still made in his image and we'll have to spend some time unpacking that. We don't have time today. But he is way different than you. He is way more glorious than you. He is way more powerful than you. He is way more majestic than you. And if you see God, how you see God determines how you respond to him. If he's a little God on a table, then you got a little God. But if you see him as who he really is, if we see him as the God of the universe with all power, we can walk through life with chest held out high, saying, not me, I'm not doing this, but I I know who I serve. I I do not have to be afraid. I do not have to be overwhelmed. I do not have to fear the future because I know the one who holds the future. And the one that holds the future is holding me right now as I speak. And he is willing to use my life to make much glory of him. And so before we can even allow the Lord's glory to change us and be vessels for him, we've got to see it. We've got to see it. And for some of you, you've got to get outside the countryside. That's, that's my charge to you this afternoon. It's like, don't just go home and take a nap. Get to the countryside. Get away from the monuments of man so that you can see the majesty of our king. And that will change you. Secondly, not only are we called to see the glory of God, but we're called to show the world the glory of God. And this is, I've already read this, but after seeing all this, Isaiah says in verse eight, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, here am I, send Do you see the exclamation point in there? He's not whimperly saying, okay, God, send me. No, he's stepping out with the chest big and bowed, saying, I know I gotta live for your glory. Because when they see me living for you, they're not gonna see me, but they're gonna see him. They're gonna see you. Isaiah's moved to give everything over in his life to follow the Lord. And you know what's so amazing? Is that we have the benefits of living on this side of the cross. Right? Isaiah wasn't fully clear on what he saw or what he needed. But we live on this side of the cross. And I love these two verses. One is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. And I'll move quickly. This is this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. So back in creation, right, when God said, let there be light and there was light. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
How does God's glory show up to us? In the face of Christ. That God becomes flesh and dwells among us so that we can know God through Christ. Hebrews chapter one, verse three, the writer says this, and he, being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The fullness of God dwells in the person of Christ, and even Christ, there's something about him that we see throughout the New Testament that he, people are both drawn to him and terrified by him. Right, as Jesus is walking, healing, loving, serving, doing all those things, people are drawn to him, but then those that see him as, as, as competition seek to destroy him by crucifying him on a cross. The infinite worth of God is displayed in the person of Christ. And how are we to glorify, show the world the glory of God? By living like Jesus. It's just that simple. I love how Jesus says in, in the Beatitudes, or in, I'm sorry, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter five, he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And verse 16, and this is the call. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you see our role? As recipients of the light of God, we don't keep it to ourselves, but we let our light shine before men so that when we do good things, they don't say, man, Jeff is a glorious person. No, they see God is glorious through the life of the follower of Jesus. We should be pointing people to Jesus. And how do we do that? By living like Jesus. Every time we live like Jesus, giving up of ourselves for others, we will always bring glory to Jesus. And we're gonna talk about that more in this series. But before we come to an end today, it may be possible that you can't even come to the place of where you're able, even able to say the statement of Isaiah, here am I, send me, because you can't see the glory of God. Your life is so busy. Your life is so full. You're never gonna be able to get to this place until you see the glory of God. So my prayer for you is that you press in and you just spend time saying, God, I wanna see your glory. I wanna see your glory. I wanna see your glory. I wanna see your glory in the face of Christ. And as you see his glory, our lives will be transformed and then we will be able to be able to say, here am I, send me. Maybe you're here today and you have, you've never come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've considered Christ and, and yet you've been one of those ones that are building monuments to yourself, to your own glory, and you found out that it's exhausting, that you're just tired. I encourage you today to come to Christ. Give your life to him, give your future to him, and know that he will set you on a course to honor him with your life. You know, I'm gonna, I want you to rest in that on your own. Like, what is God calling you to individually? But also understand, we're, since we're a part of a church, we believe that it's our responsibility to be the light bearers of Jesus to our world that's around us, to the community that God has placed us in. And so sometimes we do things that are corporate together, where together we advance the kingdom of God. And, and I wanna share with you real quickly two opportunities that are coming up in the life of our church that I wanna encourage you 
to make every effort in your life to be a part of. First is our oil change. Our oil change ministry that we do, it's coming up on uh, the 21st of May, is a Saturday where we get a chance to encounter people within our community with the love of Jesus Christ through doing something that is strange, helping people with their cars. Now, I, now I don't know if you really c- comprehend how valuable it is to have a working car in our community. Right? Do you know how many people in our community are living paycheck to paycheck? Like at the end of the month, they're getting to the end, they're like, which bill isn't getting paid? Those people that, that, that God loves and those people that, that are a part of our community are scraping to get by. And what happens is if their car breaks down, guess what? They can't get to work. And if they can't get to work, what, what, what happens? They don't get paid. And if they don't get paid, then they can't pay their mortgage. They can't pay their lease. And what happens? They quickly go from having a home to being homeless. And you know someone that's, that's living from paycheck to paycheck, what's the first thing they, they neglect? Their cars, right? Everything else is more important, but the most important thing that they need to survive is the number one thing is gets, gets neglected. Why? Because car repair is so expensive. And so we figured out, we figured out years ago, we've been doing this for years, what is one way that we can meet people where they really are? Why not give a free oil change? So once a year, we do this. We blanket our communities. with. If you want an oil change, you can have an oil change. But in order to do this, we need an army of volunteers. We need you. We need you. Maybe you can't change oil. That's fine. We can use you. Maybe you like to talk to people. We can use you. Maybe you're a prayer warrior. We can use you. Maybe you like making goods or baked goods. We can use you. Maybe you like driving cars. We can use you. Everybody that has breath in this worship center today, guess what? We can use you. We can use you in one way, shape, or form to be a part of this. Be, consider being a part of this. We have a, a sign-up sheet right outside the door of all the different opportunities of where you can be involved in oil change. I wanna encourage you and challenge you. Let this be an opportunity for us to step out into our community. The second is coming up this summer, and it's Flip Camp. Flip Camp is our vacation Bible school, and I don't know how many of you have been impacted in your life or your faith journey. A part of that is a vacation Bible school story where for a week someone told you about the love of Jesus and you saw it as refreshing and new and maybe your faith journey came as a way of vacation Bible school. This year, we really believe that God has set our community as our responsibility. This is our mission field, right? This is where we're called to be salt and light. Like like the kids, the, the family of the kid that sits next to your son or daughter at school, we're called to reach them. You know, the coworker that you have at work, we're called to reach them. You know, the person that you brush elbows with at the restaurant or the grocery store, God's called us to reach them. Like they're, they're, they're not nameless, faceless people, but they're people that God died for. And he's called us, put us here strategically at this time in history to impact their lives. And one of the ways we want to impact the lives of families is through Philip Camp. This is going to be huge. This is going to be, it's going to be the biggest flip camp we've ever done before because we want people to come and hear the love of Jesus, the message of Jesus, so that they could be changed. And we need your help. Like we need your help. We need teachers. We need people that will commit to pray. We need people that will uh, give supplies to be a part of it. And every one of us can have a part of flip camp. But these are the two big things that we're doing in the next few months as a church. This is not just a ministry doing it, but together. 
So I want to encourage you to at least consider one of those parts. And maybe you're here today and, and you feel God's call into short-term missions. Well, come talk to me about that. I would love to connect you with how you can learn more about the Global 100. Or, or maybe God's calling you to a short-term mission trip this summer. Uh, again, I can connect you with some of that as well. But today, as we've heard the message of the Lord, let us not keep it to ourselves, but let it do its work in us so that we may be changed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word today that we've, we've seen. We thank you that you've given us a glimpse into your throne room where you're seated. You're seated because you are in control. You are not worthy, you are not worried, you are not frazzled, you are at peace. And Father, we confess in our lives, we worry. We allow the things in our lives to frazzle us. And sometimes we wonder why you're not so concerned or you're not as worried as we are. But we saw in your word today that you're not worried because you're unfolding your plan. So help us to trust in you. But Father, we also saw a glimpse of your holiness. And Father, it's your desire that your holiness comes manifest through your glory. And that your glory is not just something that stays up in the heavens, but has come to earth. And it's your glory that is filling the earth. And the way that your glory is going to fill the earth is through the surrendered lives of your children. So Father, if we're at a place right now where we can't even see your holiness, help us to confess that and help us to get to a space, to create space in our lives so that we can just sit in your holiness. But Father, we also know you call us to move and you call us to be and you call us to follow you. So Father, help us. And as we sing this closing song, may these not just be words that we sing, but may these words of the song be our resolve. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.